In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to the first Sunday in Advent. I'm glad that you're with us this morning. Advent is that season where we remember both the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we're in purple this morning. You notice that's the same color as Lent because Advent is a semi-penitential season. We rejoice in Christ's victory. We rejoice that he's coming again. But we also mourn for the world and for the sinfulness around us. Well, let me tell you a story. Can I do that? Yeah, well, it was a cold and foggy night in Frankfurt, West Germany. Shirley and I were flying back from somewhere, I don't remember, but it was somewhere in Europe. And we were intending to land there in Europe's or Germany's largest airport. And then the plane began to circle and around and around and around for about an hour. And eventually the pilot comes over the PA. And as best I could understand what he was saying, he said we needed to land in Dusseldorf because of Sufil Nebelin, whatever that meant. And when he eventually got on the ground there in Dusseldorf, which is a much smaller airport, everything was shut up tight. The crowd of those German folks on that airplane, I promise you, they were clearly anxious. Are we going to get home? What about our gepäck, our luggage? What will we do next? Buses? You want us to go home on buses? Well, you have to understand how it is. You see, in Germany, that's not how things are. Everything from the trains to the Bundespost runs exactly as scheduled and exactly on time. And those poor folks, they were merely panicked. Who's in charge here? And the thought that maybe nobody was, was causing them great anxiety and fear. Now, can you relate to that this morning? You know, during the last few months of this incessant political noise that we have, I've been tempted to uh, some serious anxiety myself. And maybe you have too. And this morning, the Lord of the universe has a word for us all. Yes, somebody is in charge. And he is working out things exactly as he has ordained it. Well, let me invite you to take out this handout this morning. Now, you're going to need this because we don't have time to cover all the verses. So I put them here so on your Sunday afternoon at your leisure or during the week, you can look back at some of these verses and see I'm not just making this stuff up, okay? That it's actually in the scriptures. And at the same time, I want you to reach there in front of you and grab that red Bible, and I'd like us to turn back to the gospel text for this morning. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, verse 29. That's where we began these four. Now, let's think about this. The first thing that we see about this text is that it is speaking about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've been here at Holy Cross very long, you know that we believe that this is not just some religious metaphor. 
We believe that this is a concrete, actual, historical event that will be brought about by God himself. And the second thing you can see when you start to look at this text is that no one knows exactly when Jesus will return. Look at verse 42. I've also given it to you in your handout there. Matthew 24, 42. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what, literally, you do not know at what sort of day the Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night, literally it is, at what sort of hour in the night, the thief is coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. Okay, the master knows that thieves come at night. But when? At dusk? At midnight? At 3 a.m. after the moon is set? You see, Jesus is saying that his return is not dependent on us or on our knowledge. No, Jesus' return is fully dependent upon and fully under the control of God. Just as God has planned it, at the time that God has planned it, just as he planned it before the ages began. Now, because Jesus' return is fully dependent upon God alone, all the prophets of the Old Testament, whoever spoke to this subject, were able to speak with complete and total confidence about the return of Jesus Christ. Now, we read from Isaiah this morning, Isaiah chapter 2, and just after the section we read is Isaiah chapter 19, 12, 19. And I've given it to you in your handout there if you look at it. Now, in the year 700 B.C., now that's a really long time ago, in the year 700 B.C., Isaiah spoke about this great cataclysm that is going to happen when Jesus returns. And interestingly enough, 800 years later, the Apostle John in the book of Revelation uses exactly the same words. It's as if he says, yep, folks, it is going to happen just like we have been saying for 800 years. So with the prophet Joel, so also with the apostle Peter. You see, Jesus' return is certain. The prophet, the prophet Habakkuk says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Okay, here it is. The sermon in a nutshell this morning. Okay, here it is. What God has said will take place absolutely will take place. But you know what? Nevertheless, we seem to be a people filled with fear. What if some liberal ideologue should pack the Supreme Court with left-wing justices? 
What if the new administration will be swayed by far-right advisors? What if the economy never recovers? What if? What if? The certainty of the Lord's return arises from the fact that God is in charge of all the little details of human history. God has control over everything. He has control of every single event that can touch your life this week. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. I find that very reassuring, don't you? But you know, when you turn your mind to it, you start to wonder, wait a minute, how is that possible? Well, I promise you, it is impossible if God is merely the man upstairs. If God is just an overgrown copy of me, old and bald. (laughs) Well, we all know the messiness of our own lives, don't we? And if God is an imitation of us, you can assume that the universe is pretty messy. There's not much hope if God is like man. Okay, well, how about this? Maybe God's like a chess player. I make my move, and then God goes, hmm. And then he makes his move. And then I make another move, and God goes, okay. As if God were some grandmaster. Well, that's not too bad a thought. It might work, actually, as you get near the end of the game, because, you know, as you get near the end of the game, it's sort of inevitable, isn't it? There's not too many choices. But it doesn't work at all at the beginning of the game, because no matter whether you're a computer or the great Russian master, nobody knows what the end looks like before the game has begun. But God says your names were written in his book before the world even appeared. Friends, this is what scripture teaches. God rules over everything because God made everything. Isaiah 66 says, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What is the house that you build for me? What is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so that is how all these things came to be. Now further, you need to understand that God controls every single political event. There's absolutely nothing that is too hard for God. There's nothing too hard for him to control. But you see, perhaps even more important than that this morning is the fact that God rules over every event that will impact your life this week and this month. From your conception until your last breath, God has planned all that he has for you. That's almost more than you can take in. The psalmist says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I cannot begin to understand it. It's marvelous. 
but still we wonder, how can this all possibly be? Well, let's look at that a little. Let's consider what God is not. First of all, God is not limited by your inability and my inability. Among the great modern prophets was a fellow by the name of Dirty Harry. And you know what he said? A man's got to know his limitations. <laughs> and we know them, don't we? We all know our limitations. And in fact, they fill us with this lingering anxiety. But you know what the Lord of heaven and earth says to us this morning? He says, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Those human limitations are no limitations to God. He can accomplish his purposes through frail, broken humanity. And God can do his work even through your weakness and mine. Now secondly, God is not limited by the events of the natural world. We know from the Lord Jesus that even the winds and the sea obey him. Thirdly, God is not limited by the most powerful men or women on earth. No matter how evil, no matter how proud they might be, no world leader will be able to ever turn to God and go, sorry God, that ain't going to happen on my watch. Because God is perfectly capable of humbling them or removing them entirely. Fourthly, God is not limited by human planning or reasoning. You and I may strategize, we may plan, we may program as much as we wish. But Proverbs 19.11 says, It is only what God has purposed that will come about. Many are the plans in the minds of man, but it's the purposes of the Lord that will stand. Okay, how in heaven and earth can this possibly be? Does that mean we're just all a bunch of automatrons? Just a bunch of puppets, kind of like cosmic marionettes? Ain't no strings on me. Well, our own experience tells us that can't be true. We all know we have a will of some kind. And we are called every single day to make genuine choices. So how is it possible that God can get his plans established? How does all this work? Well, here's the answer. I don't know. I just don't know. How is it possible that God's purposes will be surely accomplished, and yet you and I may freely and joyfully participate in those promises? Or not. Or we could even try and resist them. This all is a mystery. 
let's think a little farther here. Now, every day, you and I experience that we live in a world of cause and effect, right? We live in a world of cause and effect. The book of Proverbs even says, pressing milk will produce curds, pressing the nose will produce blood, and pressing anger will produce strife, so quick before the quarreling breaks out. (laughs) All right? We live in a world of cause and effect. Do this, that happens. Do this, that happens. We understand that. But God is not limited like we are. God dwells outside time and space. In fact, God dwells outside the laws of cause and effect. I have no idea how that can be. But here is the astonishing conclusion. God is able to make, in fact, God has made a world so that every freely taken human choice only adds up to what he has ordained to take place. Let me say that again. God has made a world where every freely taken human choice only adds up to what he has ordained. Now in an age of anxiety and fear and rogue nations with nuclear weapons, there are two things that you can hang your hat on. Here's the first one. Events will never, ever flow outside the boundaries that God has set for them. Not ever. And secondly, the river of history will run to, and it will only run to, the end that God has set for it. Do you believe that? You don't sound like you do. Do you believe that? Because not to believe that is to limit the infinite power and the goodness of God. Okay, let's run by this one more time. Isaiah 46.10. God says, I am the one declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient time things not yet done. My counsel will stand, says the Lord, and I will accomplish my purpose How ought we then to respond to this marvelous and unbelievable and seemingly impossible matter of God's control over everything? Well, here's the first way. Don't fear. Don't fear because God's sovereign control is focused on your good Though God is high, exalted, and lifted up, he is not out of touch. If you look at Psalm 113, just before verse 7, he says, I'm God, I'm way up there, I look far down. I even look far down on the heavens. (laughs) That's how high I am. But in verse 7, he says this, He raises the poor from the dust, and he lifts up the needy from the ash heap. He can give the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. God's sovereign control is focused on your good. Secondly, 
simply because God is controlling all events, that does not mean that you and I can do, well, whatever. You and I are called to make godly choices. Now, God does the thing that only God can do. God lives and controls outside the stream of human history. And he can do that. Why? Because he's God. But that's not how you and I live. You and I live inside the stream of history. And you know how our lives are? You ever been to one of those video arcades? Remember the old-fashioned one? Where you sit in the car and you drive the car, and it just keeps coming at you, just like this. And you go, right? That's how you and I live life. You can't do anything about what's behind. You can't do anything about what's ahead. All you can do is right there at that moment decide which way you're going to turn that steering wheel. And that's the way your life and mine is. It is a series of godly or ungodly choices. And they come out to us one moment after another. Life comes at us in a way where we can either choose to obey and follow his word or not. And God's call, his sovereignty is a call for us, therefore, to make godly choices. Why? Precisely because God will accomplish his purposes. And you know what a part of his purposes are? To come back where all of us must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, but what about this? What happens when I mess up? How many people here have never messed up? All right, some of you are pretty awesome. <laughs> the rest of us, we've messed up. When I sin, will my failures prevent God's control of my life? No, not at all. Again, I don't know how that works. Here's what you and I must do, though, when we mess up. And this is point number three. When we made a wrong choice, then repent and turn from it. Remember 2 Chronicles 7? If my people were called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven. When you mess up, turn from it. Number four, because God is in control, you need have no fear of others and their evil intentions. Remember the biblical story of Joseph? It was precisely because of his brother's malevolent intent that got him to Egypt and made him the second most powerful man in the entire world at the time. How else do you think that could have happened to some miscellaneous nomadic shepherd? And when it was all said and done, Joseph recognized that God was at work, and he said this to his brothers. He said, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive even as they are today. Number five, remember God is the one who is in control. So don't get too big for your britches. King Nebuchadnezzar had to learn that lesson the hard way. But his life was saved because he learned it. Finally, dear friends, you may be as confident in God's love for you 
as God is confident in his own sovereignty and control. Now, both before and after this recent election, thousands have been tearing out their hair. What if, what if the sky's about to fall in? Better find a rock and climb underneath it. Dear friends, I promise you this, the God of heaven is not up there going, oh, Michael, oh, Gabriel, what are we going to do? God has not at any time been found pacing back and forth in the heavenly throne room, wondering if the Republicans are going to get a majority in the Senate. God is seated upon his throne, fully confident. But the clouds are his chariot, the winds are his messenger, and flaming fire is his minister. He is fully confident that what he has planned from long ages past will surely happen. Every name, including your name, which he has written in the book of life, these he will bring safely home. See, our job this morning is not to understand how God can be sovereign. Our job is to believe and rely upon it. You know what? God's purposes in history are this. This is what life is all about. God is in the process of making you and me fit for heaven. That's why you're here this morning. That's why you exist on this planet. God is making you fit for heaven. He is pulling together a people who are able to love him and who are able to come to the point where moment by moment, nothing brings them more delight and joy than to be in the presence of God. God is controlling every event in your life, every event in this nation, every event that is happening everywhere around this globe with an eye toward that eternity. There is nothing that will come into your life that will ever separate you from his love. There is nothing that will befall you this week that he has not ordained for the good of your soul. There is nothing that anyone can say to you or to do to you that will prevent him from accomplishing his purpose in your life this week. Nothing that will prevent him from bringing you safely home to heaven. Now, whatever it is this morning that might seem difficult and painful, think about that just for a minute. What is it this morning that seems to you difficult and painful? What is it that seems to be threatening your well-being this morning? God is using that specifically to prepare you for eternity. And when these slight passing years are reckoned up by God's mathematics, the sorrows and the difficulties of this life, they will not be worthy to be counted alongside the glory that he has for you. The glory that awaits you. This morning, you must know that you are safe in his hands. Amen.